Welcome to Leaders with Ambition, the podcast that delves deep into the careers of some of the UK's most successful leaders working in professional services firms. We aim to discover the secrets behind their success, the challenges they've overcome, and to find out what traits make a successful leader. So hello and welcome to the latest in the Leaders with Ambition podcast series. Today, I am delighted to welcome my guest, Doug Michael. Now, Doug is a partner and the US tax practice lead at AAB. And it's going to be a really great story today. Uh, We'll hear Doug talk through his upbringing and his love of sport at school and how he actually did work hard at school as well, having teachers for parents. I think you have to. Moving to London and not having a real career path in mind when you moved to London and stumbling across an admin role at PwC, which saw his career really take off. And 17 years later, he then became a specialist throughout that period of time in US expat and employment tax. How he transitioned from being a manager to a leader And also, I think as part of that journey, how he really worked hard to build trust with teams. And he'll talk about why that was so important in particular for him with some of his his personal learnings throughout his career history as well. So without further ado, I'm going to hand you over to Doug to bring his career history to life for you. Doug, welcome. Hi, Nikki, and thanks very much. That's a very generous introduction there. I think uh, I'm not sure necessarily my parents would agree that I worked that hard at school, but, um, but you'd, you'd have to ask them. I don't propose that we invite them onto this podcast. That would, take that would be quite interesting, actually, couldn't it? The real it could, story. It could be very interesting, but probably not something that I want published um, to the world. So, yeah, as you say, my upbringing, two parents as teachers, which was um, great in many ways challenging in many others and I think some of the people that I've worked with today and have worked with over the years will testify to the fact that I was brought up by a, a, the head of English as my father. I can be quite a stickler for language and grammar and I do think it's quite important but yeah so that instilled in me a way of working, a way of learning, a curiosity about the world that I think was um, really really important. At school you know, like you said I was really into my sport, still am, that was the thing that I would say was has always been my my love. I didn't struggle at school. I was absolutely fine. Got decent exam results. Probably could have worked harder than I actually did. You know, my approach to schoolwork was always do the least amount you can to get a decent enough result. An example being when you look at mock exams or something, that was always for me a test of if I do nothing, what will I get? And that will then inform me how much I need to do to how make hard, much harder. <laughs> exactly yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Rather than the approach it's some of my more distinguished peers would take, which is work as hard as you possibly can all the time and get the best result possible. So it's not that I was lazy. It was just, uh, I I call it efficient more than anything. So enjoyed school, didn't have an issue with with, with it at all. Had a great time. Went through the fairly standard process of going on to A-levels afterwards. Um, I was always quite into science um, as a kid and got my best GCSE results in the scientific subjects. So when I went to A-levels, I chose chemistry, maths and physics for some reason. They always sound like hard subjects, don't they, when you talk about sciences at A-level? Yeah, I think I made it more difficult than it probably needed to be. But uh, but, but, but yeah, so it's ch- challenging in a number of ways, but it's but it's a very different approach to some of the art subjects, you know, the English example that my, my dad was a teacher at. But when you go down that path, you then it's it, it's quite clear where you end up when you go to somewhere like a university. So I always wanted to go to university. My parents went, it just felt like the natural thing. I think times have changed very much in that regard. But I was going to say 20 years ago, it's longer than that now. But just a bit more than 20 years ago, it was kind of the norm that you went to college, you got A-levels, you got decent A-level results, you went on to university. And when you do maths, physics and chemistry, it leads you down the path. And I ended up choosing to do aerospace engineering purely because I was vaguely interested, but it's a, it's one of the things that you do. And if you don't focus on one of those specific subjects, you end up doing right. engineering is quite common. Quite early into my time at university, I realised that it probably wasn't for me. I could just didn't have a huge interest in it. I found some of the complex maths quite tricky, which people will laugh about given what I do for a living. Um, but it's properly complex maths, not just being good at arithmetic and, and legit logic. And I think quite quickly, within a matter of weeks, short amount of months, really, I decided that that wasn't what I was going to do longer term. So 
I just remember it's really, really distinct. There was a certain point in life that just I could remember like it was yesterday, calling my parents and saying, Yeah, I don't think I want to do this anymore. And my mum saying, Oh yeah, that's fine. We knew you weren't going to Interesting. Yeah. And me just being really surprised, thinking I was terrified. I was ringing them up. You know, they obviously have supported me through my life. They've put quite a lot of money effectively into this. They're helping support me paying rent and stuff at university, paying fees that had come in at that point. And um, and I thought they're, they're going to be devastated and, and, and angry and disappointed. And my mum just said, no, we knew. We just didn't want to tell you beforehand because we felt really strongly that you needed to find that out for yourself. I think they know I can be fairly headstrong. And right. if they tried to tell me this isn't for you and you should do something else, it probably wouldn't have gone down that way and I would have reacted in a very different way. And finding out myself and it being okay to effectively have failed was was all right. And that was, um, you know, there are moments in time where you think that's a, there's a life lesson here. And that is something that I've tried to take, take into my work life, personal life and, 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 as we move through, because I think it's a really important lesson. Yeah. Um, and great, great parenting skills there. Well done, mum and dad. Absolutely. I'm not sure I've necessarily learned all of their parenting skills. Again, you'll have to wait a little while for my <laughs> to grow up they'll tell you. Hopefully they've got some similar positive stories when they get old enough. But it was great. And it really allowed me then to say, OK, what do I want to do? You know, a stop and pause and think about where I'm at. Do I still want to be at university? Do I want to go and do something else? Long story short, end up saying, yeah, I want to stay. I wanted to do something, but I want to do something that I enjoy. And I ended up, and this is a big sort of left turn on a philosophy degree. So philosophy, as many people think, is a sort of airy-fairy, theoretical, deep thinking, um, lots of people thinking about questions that don't really matter that much. Um, It's actually very different from that. It's really critical thinking, logic. There's a lot of why are we asking this question? We're asking it because you want to understand the world. You want to understand the constructs of things. You want to understand why two plus two equals four. That's a simple concept that most people understand from a fairly early age. Why is that? What is it that backs that up that means that we can make sense of things? And I found I was quite well suited to that. I quite like a logical way of thinking. I wouldn't say that I am hugely analytical, but I like coming up with problems to solutions. I like thinking my way through things. And I really, really enjoyed it. So 100% the right things have happened. Yeah. Really good for me personally. The challenge with that is you get to the end of your three-year degree and say, okay, I could tell you what job I probably would have done with an aerospace engineering degree. I couldn't tell you what job I was going to do with a philosophy degree. It qualifies you for everything and, and nothing. No job spec you ever read says we really want someone with a philosophy degree. So unless you're a philosopher, of course, then that would be course, unless you want to go and teach other people <laughs> philosophy. But I think we say a lot of good things I learned from my parents. One of them was I don't think I could be a teacher. I have a certain level of patience, not enough. I think yeah. um, it's just it's an amazing profession. I, I do have a lot of respect for teachers. Absolutely, and um, my mum particularly was special needs teacher. And just hearing about some of the things that she would deal with and the the challenges there is just incredible. And hats off to anyone who's a teacher at all, let alone in that kind of world. I know I couldn't do it. Inspirational role models for you as well, though, from a young age, your parents. A a, a little bit, yeah. I think they would laugh hearing this. Me talking about them as role models, probably never never said that to them before. But absolutely, it's the the things that it never seemed like a big thing. But when you look back, when you're a bit older and you realise how challenging some of this stuff is. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely that. So then out in the big wide world with no real clear thought of what I wanted to do, no real clear path. You know, a lot of my friends had done business degrees or something, accountancy degrees, some of them. And it would be that round, milk round of applying for graduate jobs. There's an obvious pathway. They'd apply for 25, they'd interview for 15, they'd end up getting three or four offers and just choose one that made sense. And I was there thinking, I know that's not really for me. I also know I, I'm going to struggle to do that anyway because I don't have a, a specific qualification. So I just sort of started doing some jobs to make sure that I paid my way. I was living back at home at this point. Worked on a building site for a bit. I actually quite enjoyed that. It was good fun. And suddenly having more money than anyone else because, you know, most people who start trainee jobs didn't get paid very much. So I was yeah. Cash at the end of the week. It was a good time. But all the while thinking, okay, this doesn't last forever. What am I actually going to do? In the end, I thought I really need a focus. So I'd saved up enough money to probably cover 
don't know, three or four months rent in London. So I moved to London with a couple of friends who'd moved there for work. Why did you think, was it always, as you mentioned, you didn't have a clear career path. So what was it about moving to London? Was it because you thought there'd just be more opportunity for you? Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I grew up in Surrey, so I didn't live far from London. So in terms of going to a city, it yeah. the city. I went to university in Sheffield, absolutely loved it. Sheffield, incredible place. But after moving back home, I thought, I am a southerner at heart. I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be down this way. And London is a great city. And, you know, I knew London enough from growing up down yeah. that way. But I always thought I wanted to spend some time there. And in terms of opportunity, again, I just think it was, I just need to be somewhere like that where there's stuff going on where I can sort of focus and think, okay, I now need to make something of this. And it felt like giving myself a bit, almost a bit of a deadline and saying, if you don't find something in the next three or four months, got to move out anyway, because you won't be able to afford it. I'll be back home again. And there's a, like I said, I'm relatively strong-willed and strong-headed there's part of me that said, I, I can't do that. I'm not going to go back home, moving with my parents, much though they would have had me, much they would have been particularly supportive and say, I've done this and I haven't managed to get anything. I would guarantee I'm going to find something. I think it was more of a struggle than I thought. Yeah. Honest. I thought, again, with that sort of slight brashness of youth, although I knew by then I wasn't specifically qualified for anything, I thought, you know, I'm relatively intelligent. I've got a degree. I'll go and find a job. It'll be fine really tough because there's a lot of really good people out there going for jobs all the time and it took a while and in the end what really happened was I was doing again some just casual jobs just temping at places and the agency I was working with they said oh we've got this job has come up at PwC and at that time I didn't really care what it was I said I know them I've heard that name that's a good place to go and work that's a solid name to be on a CV if nothing else I'll take it and it turned out it was a, an admin role basically so it was a, it was a support role as part of the tax practice and specifically the expat tax practice. And my first job was packaging tax returns. And this is back in the day when you did them all, they're all in paper pretty much. So it was, it was print off a tax return, put it through a binding machine, put it in an envelope, send it out in the post and update all the records. And, and for someone who'd, and I never try and do down any job at all, but for someone at my age who'd been to university and had these grand aspirations, to be doing that was kind of a, oh, okay. Very grounding, I would Absolutely, say. Absolutely, yeah. I might, I might need to reset some ambitions here. Yeah. But what it did do is it gave me a really good understanding of, frankly, how any business works, but how that business worked particularly. You got a real oversight of what was going on, who was doing what, how it all knitted together. And it wasn't that long till I started working a bit more closely with one of the senior managers in the team at the time, just doing a, a little bit of additional work, helping him out, supporting him, making sure that he could focus on what he needed to, taking over a bit of a, you know, you'd almost call it a management role, but from a sort of process perspective. Yeah. And over time, that developed a little bit into becoming quite important for him. And I think it was just because my approach to all of this was, I, and there were plenty of people that did it this way. It's just a job. It's relatively menial. I mean, we were packaging 250 tax returns a day at some point. So you could just go through the motions a bit like being on a factory line. Same thing, time after time after time, clock in, clock out, go home, enjoy yourself, come back the next day. But I always wanted a bit more. I wanted to make the most of, of everything. So I just would look for additional opportunities. I'd look for stuff to help with. I'd ask people when I'd done everything I need to do in the day, rather than just go, well, that's great. I've got a couple of hours spare at the end of the day. Off I'd go and say, look, I'm free. I can help with something. So you, you just find that by making yourself available, you end up with more work more interesting work, more varied work, working with more people. And if you do a good job, that then spirals and they give you more again, they yeah. trust you more and it builds that profile a bit. And, well, that's a great life lesson as well, isn't it? That whatever you do it, do it to the absolute 10th degree, the best of your capability so that you are always the person that would be looked at to help and learn and, and that people will want you to progress as well. Yeah, absolutely. And let's be honest, that's not every day. There would be some days when, I've been out the night before and was a bit hungover and thought it's really nice that it's quite quiet. I'm just doing what I need to do at home. But you can't do that every day because you don't get anywhere. So people have got to have realistic aspirations. But my base level was I will do a decent job every day. And on most days, I will try and go beyond that. And then that just builds that level of, of expectation and means that people trust you to do more. So it just ended up that quite quickly I moved into just 
being given more responsibility, being given more tasks to do. And then it probably was about a year, I think. And bear in mind, this was a temp job to start with, so it made permanent relatively quickly. About a year after, I think, there came a, an opportunity in the US expat tax team to start doing some technical work. They needed a person at trainee level effectively and said, look, you've been around, we trust you, we like what you're doing. Are you interested in that? Again, never really thought about this as a career, never really thought about it as a thing. But US sounded more exciting than UK. I live in the UK. I know the UK. US is a big place. I like the US. It seems cool. And um, I said, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll give it a go. And that's sort of really what sparked my interest. And if you want to go as far as call it a, a passion in expat tax, then that's the moment that that sort of happened. Because the US is a complicated place. From a tax perspective, it's an incredibly complex place. It's one of the only places in, in the world where you'd have people like me doing US tax from outside the US. You don't, you don't have UK tax practitioners dotted around the world because they don't need to be. So there's a lot there. It's interesting. It's complicated. You're constantly learning. And I looked at it and quite quickly realised that this is something I think I'd be good at and I think I could be interested in because there's too much to learn in a lifetime. So I'll never get bored unless I allow myself to get bored. So it's sort of, it went from there really. And then over time, again, similar process, similar things we've talked about already, just constantly looking at what else could I do? What more could I do? Not just be good at the tasks I'm being given, but can we improve things? And can I teach myself stuff? Can I be curious? Which is a key thing for me is always take an interest in everything, not just the thing that you're doing at that moment in time. And so gradually moved up the chain these places like pwc are like you know relatively hierarchical but it's quite a simple structure and a lot of the time it is a meritocracy so if yeah. you do well and you get good feedback and people appreciate what you're doing then you will progress not all the time but most of the time i think for then a few years after that i progressed relatively quickly up to the point of being a, a manager so therefore in charge of more than just myself and my own workload in charge of some other people as well. I'm responsible for a small team. But how quickly did you decide that this was going to be your career path? Because at some stage, as you said, you started to take on more responsibility. You know, you started to realise that as a trainee, this was the area that you really actually loved and, you know, use the word passion. You are, you are passionate about US tax. There's nothing wrong with that. And when did you think... I, this is my career now and I'm going to go all the way. Did you recognise that in yourself early on? Not massively early on. I think I was always, uh, and I think there's probably quite a lot of that in the expat tax industry, especially if you speak to a lot of people, how did you find your way to expat tax? Because it's quite yeah. nice. Most people go, oh, I fell into it because I did this and then it just appeared and I did something. And a lot of us are like that. But there was a point, it probably took two or three, maybe even a bit longer, maybe even getting to manager level to say, okay, half of it was, I've just been here long enough now. Actually, time has moved quite quickly. You don't realise how quickly time yeah. moves. You look back, you think, I've been here five minutes, and you realise it's five years. You think, I am out actually now a US tax practitioner. I can't yeah. say, oh, I'm just doing this because I need to pay my rent. That time yeah. is long gone. You, you <laughs> actually know some stuff now. If you it, hate to admit it, but you are actually relatively competent in your area, so you can't just say you're pretending to be this and, and playing at it. But there was also the, the forward-looking bit saying, this isn't just about this specific thing. This isn't just about US tax, albeit I do enjoy it. There's so much more you can do because of the industry, because of the nature of the business. It's about people. And anyone who talks about professional services will say the same thing. It's a people business. Of course it is. It's not. People don't come to me to buy a thing that I've made or a product that I'm selling. They buy time. They buy my time or my colleague's time or whoever it is. And so it has to be built around the people. And you realise you work with such a vast array of people. That keeps it interesting. That keeps it completely varying in terms of day to day. You see that everybody's a bit different. You work with colleagues. You end up having to manage colleagues. You work with clients. Similarly, you have to manage clients as well. And if skill you can develop it's always going to be different you're not going to be pigeonholed into a particular role and I really liked that idea that actually there would be a 
an ability to forge my own career path to a degree and not to go on doing this for the rest of my life if I think someone would turn and go no no you you prepare US tax returns that's what you'll do and maybe in time you can review some but that's kind of it I probably would have walked away at that point because that's not me it wouldn't have kept me interested I enjoy that technical aspect of work but that's not all of it but you also enjoy the, as you were saying, the developing of team. You were doing that quite early on in your career, as you mentioned, that you start to take on responsibility. But now you're actually in quite a responsible role. And your job is to grow teams, it's to develop people, and it's to build the next stage of people coming through. So your career is pivoting as well, isn't it? It's totally. And, and think um, if you fast forward to now, and I know we're sort of going through a timeline, but it's quite relevant for this bit of the conversation is, I joined AB in May with an idea to set up effective best tax practice. If I'd have plotted out how I thought it would go and what the plan would be on a piece of paper in May, which I did, it's not gone like that at all because lots and lots of different things have happened in that time frame that have meant you've had to adjust, pause for a minute, get other people involved, change what you think your job is. If I try and explain what my job is now, it's a million miles away from what I thought it would look like. Yeah, it might it might go it might go back to what I thought it would look like in in a few months time, but that's the joy of it. You can't do that if you've got a very linear perspective. And I always said one of the house renovations that we did some years ago. I said I say we. My wife was managing most of it, and I probably knocked down on something very small and demolished something at some point. But the builders most of it. But I remember getting frustrated with the way that the work was happening because the builders had this great plan. But it was very linear. It was, we do this, then this, then this, then this. One bit didn't happen. It just stopped. Nothing happened. Said, oh, Nothing else goes through. This yeah. was supposed to happen. And then there was no, well, those bits aren't connected. So those can happen in parallel. It's very much about, you just got to be aware that things are never going to work out exactly as you plan. And so what can you do to, in some cases, mitigate that? In other cases, just be aware. And if something changes, just don't worry about it. I think one of the things I've always been quite clear on is just, trying to be stress-free because this stuff will happen all the time yeah and you'll have to jump on stuff that you have that has been the case in the first six months of my time at AB I've seen things going like am I the right person to be I don't think so because I haven't got a clue about this (laughs) and it turns out that quite a lot of other people feel the same but as a group you work through it you figure out who's probably best place to pick up one bit or another and then off you go and you do your bits and, and it will work out but that's that team ethos for you again, isn't it? And that collaboration piece, which I know you find incredibly important. And you you do, I think one of your styles is you do give a, a lot of recognition to your team. You're not a person that's there going, my team's been successful, it's down to me. You're going, the success is down to all of these people that work around and together. Absolutely. And I think it's, it's, it's very easy to sit here and say, oh, yes, I recognise the team and I give... But it actually is really easy to do it. And I, I joke, I say, you know, the more I recognise other people, the more people seem to think I'm doing a good job. Yeah. So, so <laughs> it's, like, it's like, no, no, it was this person in the team. They've done an amazing job. And people nod as if to go, yeah, Doug's obviously doing something right. And I'm like, no, no, genuinely, I haven't done anything to do with this. It was, it, it was them. And I, yeah, yeah. Great, great job. Doug. No, no. And the more you sort of protest, the more you seem to get recognition anyway so I just don't understand anybody's approach where they try and take credit for something yeah. that isn't theirs it, it it just doesn't work and it was you know what often people try and distill things down into you know what your key themes or what your key points that you might want to make yeah. this is one of one of, and I don't generally like doing that particularly but this is one of the things I think is hugely hugely important is it's so self-defeating to try and claim credit for something that that you weren't involved in we yeah. didn't really have anything to do because you'll get found out and the people that are looking to you for support or to try and trust won't trust you and then they won't want to work in the team anyway yeah so you're gonna lose them aren't you I think frankly rid- ridiculous and I've always found that it's really really not that difficult to praise people now sometimes you get caught up in what you're doing and you forget to do those things and you need a bit of a kick sometimes say look it's been months since you've said a positive thing to anybody. We can all get like that. And it is really important to stop and think. But it's more important than that you make sure that when you do do it, you do it properly. And like I said, I think it's really easy to do that. 
Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I know that when we talked about going back to your career progression at PwC, I thought it was a really interesting learn that you had when you were looking to step up into a senior manager role and you didn't get the promotion at the time. And it actually was a massive learning curve for you, wasn't it? Yeah. And something that I now use to tell other people is I thought I was ready. And in, and sort of even looking back, I think potentially on paper, yes, I I could have done that job and I, and I was technically ready Yeah, and I didn't get it. And it was the first time I hadn't got something I'd gone for. Every time before then was, okay, I think I'm ready for senior associate. I've been put forward. I've got it. Move on. Same for manager. This was the first time when I said, I think I'm ready. I'm going for it. And then they said, oh, unfortunately you haven't got it. Maybe next year. It was weeks, months, kind of devastated. And also thinking, well, I thought I was doing everything right. What have I not done right? You fast forward a few years and you look back, and this is a really tough lesson for people because at the time, and I completely get it, at the time... There's you're no living point, in it, aren't you? There's, you're no, point, there's no point yeah. me turning around someone now who hasn't got pride to go, you'll look back and go, this was a good thing. Because they'll say, go away, in yeah. less polite language. In hindsight, it absolutely was the right thing because I could have been prone, I could have done that job, and I would have been fine. But that extra year of just developing a few more skills and just eyeing out some creases and rounding some edges was hugely beneficial because by the time I then did get promoted I was definitely ready yeah and I carried on the momentum and it didn't stop and I always say especially when you work in a larger environment PwC is a big big employer there are a lot of people that you work with a lot of them won't see what you do on a daily basis it'll be one interaction every few months you don't want that momentum to slow if you've got aspirations of continuing even further because if you do a half good job people remember that if you do a great job, people remember that. And so that extra year did make a lot of difference. And I do think it massively helped me in the long term and also helped kind of manage my own expectations that I can't just go, yeah, I'm going to get this. Yeah, I'm going to get yeah. this. I expect it all to land just because you want it to or you feel that you're ready. Yeah. So unfortunately, that isn't how it works. So it'd be lovely if I just said, I am going to do this and it happened. But I think, again, it's a massive cliche to say, getting a knockback of some sort can be helpful it can absolutely but it's about that self-awareness it's about that understanding and I didn't quite have that level of self-awareness at the time whereas now I think I would have yeah be a little bit more realistic about really where I was yeah about how and how you deal with it you subsequently dealt with it in a, exactly like, and I think, I think it's hugely difficult. rare to have that because if you speak to people when they're sort of in that discussion around promotions yeah. for example I've never spoken to a single person when, yeah, I think another year would be beneficial. Everyone always says, 100%, I want it now, and I think I'm ready. And that's obviously not going to be the case. And I think having a level of confidence is very, very important. And I think linked to that self-awareness point, mistaken for arrogance, which is a totally separate thing. I think having innate confidence is, is vital. Yeah. And when people talk about coaching or development or feedback, Getting people to be more confident, I think, is the number one because it's that confidence to know what your skills are, where you might think about it, whether you want to do anything about it. Because I think it's not always a huge positive for everyone to work on their weaknesses. Yeah, that's yeah. quite old school management style as well, isn't it? It's now about your strengths and collaboration. But the logical conclusion to if everyone works on their weaknesses is that we'll all end up being exactly the same. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which obviously is silly. But I think a second that you are confident enough to know what you know and more importantly what you don't know, that's when I think you get the best out of people. And again, it's yeah. one of those things that I've always tried to be relatively self-effacing in that way. And even today, I work with people who technically in a hierarchical system are junior to me, but they know way more about certain things than I do. And they will be front and centre of that if we need that to happen. And they're very aware and hopefully feel valued as a result. But that only comes from the confidence that I'm not there thinking I need to know everything that yeah. they know plus a bit more. I'm okay with the fact that I don't know that because I hope I know that they see value in me in other areas and that ultimately I'm taking responsibility, supporting them, taking accountability sheltering them from risks etc all the things that come with this type of role yeah the and hopefully they recognize that 
And I think it's interesting. I know you and I have spoken about that you'd had a previous manager and actually that's probably when your leadership skills really came to the forefront when you saw what became a very negative management style from this person and subsequently impacted the whole of the team and it showed you how you're the kind of leader that you wanted to be and it definitely helps again accelerate probably your learning in your career yeah again you know sometimes the best learning experiences are not particularly fun at the time and I wouldn't necessarily say we should hunt out those particularly negative experiences but it just so happened that we're working in an environment where someone in charge of the team was was will go as far as say fairly toxic Mm. and not obviously so to begin with but it turned out we talked about you know taking credit and giving recognition this was someone who in front of the team would go you're all doing a great job and then disappear elsewhere and badmouth anyone who made a mistake and then claim credit for anything that was going well in separate meetings with partners for example and it doesn't take that long for that to get back to people like you can't keep stuff quiet as everyone will know these places are hotbeds of gossip the best of times let alone when it's when it's personal to people and people are not necessarily doing the right thing and all that did was just foster a, a culture where people retreated into themselves and didn't ever try anything different so we go back to the sort of the packaging tax return bit, just doing what is necessary. So that's what people did. They just did what was necessary to get through the day. Never tried anything, never made suggestions, never said, oh, I think we could improve if we did this. Because they knew that if it did go well, they wouldn't get credit for it anyway. Yeah. And if it didn't go well, they they'd, get have, the target, they'd have a target on the back. <clears throat> yeah. Not a great working environment. It doesn't take a genius to figure that out. The problem was it all sort of came to a head quite a few people left at the same time. I just ended up being a newly promoted senior manager, the only one in the team. And so by default, they said, right, you're now in charge. And how did that make you feel then? I mean, you know, as you say, you were a newly promoted senior manager. It was a very toxic environment that had been left behind. A lot of people had left. And so you had to very quickly rebuild, pull together, try and hire, but also you, you know, you're trying to, solve a mess that's not your mess how did you feel about it all yeah well, again you know distinct moments I remember being in a partner's office and them saying this has happened you're now in charge mm-hmm. and they said well we'll support you with everything you know you don't need to worry about it and then the parting words were just don't mess it up <laughs> okay <laughs> okay I won't <laughs> yeah all right I'll have my plans out the window then I said you know I've had better advice <laughs> but it was simply a case of you know the, the, my first feeling was probably not publishable yeah you stop and think okay well it it is what it is we're in this position it can't be any worse (laughs) what do we do about it I think there was a feeling that people were sort of kind of relieved that the status quo wasn't going to continue yeah but also everyone was just in this case where they were worried about everything all the time there was a bit of yeah me thinking okay I've not been in this position before I've not been in charge of this many people I've managed small groups of people but mainly managed tasks not the whole hearts and minds thing, which is a yeah. very, very different environment. At that point, I thought, well, how would you approach this in life? Because you think, oh, it's a work thing. Well, it's not really. It's just a thing. Yeah. So how would you approach it? Well, you probably have a conversation with people. You probably go, how are you feeling? What needs to change? What needs to happen? So we just sat down as a group and started having conversations about it. Saying, look, all I can say is it will not be the same as it has been. That's just not my approach. I don't need to take credit for other people's things and I never would and it's completely alien to me so you can be comfortable that's not going to happen and the other thing I find most important is that I'm supporting people to do what they need to do so it's a very slow process we didn't solve this overnight it took realistically it took years but it was purely just behaving frankly like a normal human being and just being support people understanding they weren't feeling particularly great about that thing in their life which happened to be work yeah but it could be it's such a big part of your life though isn't it that's the problem you've got to make sure being an inspirational role model you're managing you're leading you're trying to keep people's hearts and minds there's lots of difficulties around it isn't there massively so if you think about it in those terms then it gets a bit much it gets a bit overbearing I never try and think about being a leader or being in a leadership position obviously there is an aspect to it but it was more and again this is something that I've always felt really strongly about in my professional career, which is as much as possible. I don't think there should be a divide between work life and just life. 
obviously yeah. in terms of what you do of course there is obviously in terms of would you choose to be spending six seven eight hours a day with all of those same people in your personal life probably not some you would some you're fine with some you probably don't get on with as well that's natural but absent that you should probably look to treat people as you'd expect to be treated in your normal. Yeah. and I always like comparison with that is I like it when we talk about sales and we've been through this and again I was at PPC for 17 years so it did the rounds a few times of how do you build a relationship with people and there was like video content and training sessions and whatnot about it and it was all completely alien to me I thought this is weird because you no one does this in their real life no one says how do I make friends with people and then goes online and tries to find a video about it or maybe they do but no one I've ever spoken to so why do we do that in a professional capacity and there's certain things I think can help you along the way but a lot of it is just being relatively normal does help and trying to you can't be everything to everyone from minute one the first time you meet someone it's a conversation the second time the conversation is slightly different by the 20th time the conversation is completely different yeah and that's just how relationships develop yeah but I think one of the things you did well uh, we talked about was when you were building the outsourcing model and how you got so many people involved from uh, different cultures and in going into different countries as well and again you know you were doing that to help build your team as opposed to you just doing it all because it's the good bits so I thought that was a, a real positive line of thought yeah absolutely I mean that was um, again a similar sort of time to taking the team we started working with a, with a team in India a little while before then but sort of small amount piecemeal it didn't quite work properly for a variety of reasons and it was clear that the future of the meat of our business was tax return compliance. We're not going to be able to do that out of London at volume for much longer because the cost is just so high. The business is going to support it. So outsourcing or offshoring, I should say, because it was still part of PDBC, yeah. was the way to go. But how do you go about that? Again, I don't know. I've never done that before. No one ever told me how to do it. We just had some people and a business in India that we were working with. And I just sort of, it's not my design and not my thoughts we did it as a bit of a group to look what do we think how are we going to work through this and we kind of agreed that the, the best way to do it was to make the team in India feel as much a part of the team as is humanly possible and in a way this was just a, a forerunning of what we do now in terms of remote work that wasn't that wasn't a thing back then no one did that it was everyone in in the London office who worked together then we had a group of people in India who worked together how do you bridge that gap you wouldn't think twice about it now because yeah. it's just common but then as well they are not we're not treating them like they're independent contractors or they're not part of what we're doing they are just part of the team they just happen to sit thousands of miles away and four and a half hours ahead of us but if we don't treat them as part of the team we won't get the best out of them so how do we do that well we need to spend time with and what you'd have, and we looked at parallels of how some of the other bits of the business were doing it. And they were very much a partner or director would fly out to India, talk for hours, explain what they wanted to do, stick around for a few days, have a bit of a jolly. And I don't think that's going to work. So we said, look, when we're in their busiest time, let's make sure we're on hand to support them with whatever they need. And we should send a variety of people. We should send the best people. We should send people who want to go, people who have an interest in training and developing and supporting but also people from all different grades because they're all different grades yeah I can go and I can talk to their team leader about how we link together and how we make sure that there's synergy across the team but I'm probably not going to be the best person to sit there with someone who's just doing this for the first time and teaching them how to use the tax prep software because it's been a while since I've done that and <laughs> I will be rubbish at it right so we should send the people who are good at doing that we just did for probably six or eight weeks, every busy season, a couple times a year maybe, just send two people at a time on two-week or three-week rotations just to go meet the team, help them sit there, support them. No real agenda other than just you are there as part of the team and bridging that gap. And I'd say it worked really, great really well. Yeah, it's and really the great. Engagement, the engagement we had from the team in India was really high. We didn't have attrition rates like the rest of the business did because we just, to me, a tiny bit more money in terms of, of, of travel but 100% worth it just because we didn't have to then redo it 15 times when yeah. people left yeah, the retention's great and you then became director 
at PwC, which again, you know, must have been an amazing achievement. Although I think when we talk about your achievements shortly, you you always talk about your senior manager role. And when you finally got that under your belt was a good achievement. Did it feel that, you know, again, you'd reached this path that you were looking to? Were you thinking about that partner step? Where were you when your headspace around that director promotion? The director thing was great because really the promotions up to that point were almost persuading people as you were there right i am ready for this next step the direct to promote is slightly different so far as your business so the expat tax global mobility business had decided amongst themselves the partner group that i was one of a small number of candidates yep so this guy's doing the right thing we are supporting him which is obviously a positive thing so you feel like you must be doing something right when the business groups behind you then it's about validating it to someone independent, a part of the business, which is a very, very different setup. And again, once you get through that, you think, okay, well, not only do my business support me, someone random who doesn't really know what we do thinks it makes sense as well. It's probably a viable business and I must be okay. So it's quite a nice validation. But again, it's just, you, you never really stop and think about it because it's just part of that progression job, aren't you yeah and so it became more clear I think at that point but probably even a year after that you think right what next because yeah. that first year after you get promotion you're not thinking about the next step particularly because you think I know the next step is at least some years down the line you don't move from promotion to promotion year after year so I allow myself some breathing space then you start thinking okay right now let's think about what does the next do when you start to think about okay well that's partner in a, in a big four firm that's a very different beast could I even get that? You know, it's not in my control. I always felt a little bit like everything else was to a degree within my control. So if I did a good enough job, if I developed business enough, whereas this felt a little bit different. And so you really, really start to think about broader things. And really that's when I start thinking about opportunities elsewhere. Not because, and again, I've always had a really, it's a really big personal point for me. There has to be a pull from somewhere else that overrides anything that you've currently got. So it wasn't I was looking for things because I wasn't happy with where I was. It wasn't that there was some big push out of PwC. There were roles that came up that I looked at in the intervening years that were interesting, but not quite right for whatever reason, i.e. not a big enough pull for me to go, that's a thing that I can really engage with. When this role came up at AB, very, very different because it's a completely, for me in the US tax business completely unique that this doesn't really come up and it's not really a thing that's ever been there before and at the same time when there was quite a lot of disruption happening in pwc with the sale of the business to the auto partner so it just the things all aligned to make it a really exciting proposition for me and i felt like i'd achieved quite a lot at pwc Looking back to when you were a temp, going through tax returns to being a director, running this really successful global business, I think you probably was a little different. (laughs) Yeah, it was a bit. And you never, you know, I'm not really one for reflection particularly, but there are times, especially when you get a bit older, when you think, oh, yeah, it has been a long time. And oh, yeah, I remember now how it was done (laughs) way back when. And things have changed quite a lot. We have achieved quite a bit as a group and what was really nice is that is that the team at pwc it was a part of lots of people have been around for quite a long time yeah. so quite a few people had shared in some of that over the years and seen how it was and seen what had happened and how it had changed and change is not always good for everybody there are plenty of people who were quite happy doing what they were doing didn't really want it to change but sometimes it's inevitable and you can't always bring everybody with you yeah. And again, one of the things that's always been really important to me is you don't sort of force people out if something's not a good fit. You make sure that whatever happens is the right answer for them. And I've done that a number of times with colleagues who are also friends who have left PwC in the past. You've got to make the decision for you. If you're leaving because there's something that you think is better, then I would hate to be saying, oh, you shouldn't be doing that because it won't be great. Or why don't you stay here? It's much better. Like it's, I don't find it's my job to dissuade them from things. I think it's my job to help people to bring the best out of themselves. And sometimes that's in a different business. And that's okay. 
because having a 100% retention rate is a ridiculous aspiration that's never going to exist. So there are people that are going to move along the way. And you kind of, I really think that you want people to be a positive ambassador for where they've come from. And that happens if they have a positive experience of leaving as much as a positive experience of being there and joining yeah. in the first place. That's very true. And you're developing people all the time, which I know is one of your passions as well. So there's not always going to be room for people in an organisation when they get to a certain level, is it? That's a reality. So you moved to AAB, as you mentioned earlier on this year. And how was the transition for you? Because 17 years in a firm is a long time. You're now a partner as well, different responsibilities as a partner. How did you find all the, the transition? Yeah, I have to say I found it relatively easy. I think for a couple of reasons, really. One is the business we had at PwC, because we did US tax in the UK, which is relatively niche. Well, there are a lot of people yeah. that do it, but we also had obviously PwC US. So it was almost like being part of a smaller firm within a firm. Right. Because of the way that some of the work was done and divided up and the kind of clients that we work with. So the way we worked was slightly different from traditional big four approach so that transition to a smaller business was a bit easier I think than had I been in another part of, of PwC so I always felt like I was a little bit along that pathway anyway and then the other reason is just the fact that the business was changing anyway with the sale right I wasn't going to be part of PwC I was going to be part of something else much though it might be quite similar for a period of time because the size of the business being carved out was big enough that most of the people that I worked with were part of it anyway. But it just felt like a line in the sand where you'd say, it doesn't matter what I do, things are going to be different. So you don't compare today with tomorrow. You say, well, tomorrow is different regardless. So you're already in that headspace of change. So I think it was less daunting to go and do something completely different on that basis. And then I guess the other thing I'd say is kudos to AAB. The guys have been so welcoming. It's ridiculous. Very early on, again, I said I'm doing a partner role now, which I didn't have before. More responsibility, more accountability. The business is growing. There's pressure in a way, or it doesn't feel that way. Of course there is to grow a business and continue on that trajectory. I was involved in lots and lots of discussions quite early on about certain things we're doing, strategic decisions, money being spent. And I said, I'm asking people for, should I be doing this? Should I be doing that? So I'm sort of getting blank stares and shrugged shoulders. And the CEO just said, but why are you asking? If you do a bad job, that's our fault because we've hired you. He said, but we haven't hired you so I can look over your shoulder and check what you're doing and approve it all the time. And that in the early stages of the transition is, was great because although that could be slightly terrifying, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was like validation. Okay, go, get, get on with it. Yeah, do your job. That's what we've, you've been brought on to do. And it sounds like a great place to work as well, though. So I think, you know, you've obviously, I think you you know some people and knew some people previously that worked there. So you already had the feel for the calibre of people that were there. And that does make a big difference, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It can really help when you know someone who's there and part of the business. I've met a few of them before as well, you know, mm-hmm really easy people to deal with but it's also just the ethos of the business the culture is very much people focused now I know lots of businesses would say that and some follow that and some don't necessarily I can absolutely tell you that that is the case here to the extent where it's almost everything you do is questioned from a people culture perspective to make sure that people are comfortable with that now does, does that always work of course it doesn't because like we said it's a growing complicated business you can't keep everybody happy all of the time. But there is an understanding that you should listen to people. People have different viewpoints. People have different skills. And even just... That, that aligns with your completely your values, doesn't it? Because that's something that's quite ingrained in you. So, uh, you know, not that PwC wasn't like that, but it sounds like AAB really is something that you're able to embrace and believe in. Yeah, completely. And it's because it's small enough we're not talking tiny businesses, but it's a lot smaller than PPC. You feel really part of something where you can make an actual change. You know, if I tried to change anything within PwC, with all the will in the world, and this is no fault of PwC's, it's never going to happen because there are tens of thousands of employees in the UK alone, lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of people making decisions. Here, 
we're all part of something that's a lot more agile but you're able to change it so when people have ideas and thoughts we think that's a good idea we just go and do it yeah people's voices are heard aren't they you're able to do that which is something that uh, is quite unusual and, and probably leads on to what your career highlights have been as well for us what would you say looking back have been those highlights yeah, so there's mostly the things we've kind of talked about already. I mean, there was, there was, it, it sort of, at the time, like I said, didn't feel like a highlight, but the whole thing around the senior manager progression and then taking control and charge of that team was a massive thing because I learned everything that I have learned about leadership at that point. There was a lot going on in a short period of time. And I think on reflection, like I said, I don't like to reflect too much, but if you do look, that could have gone so differently. That could have gone really badly. And that could have set me on a totally, totally different career path. But we got through it. And then we improved on things. And then I think we made the place quite a nice place to work. And that was just huge. A sort of few years where that happened was definitely, definitely a highlight. And I take so much from that, especially when I'm talking yeah. to other people about how they develop their careers as well. I think even further back than that, just sort of that, right in the early stage of the career getting working with the senior manager back then and getting that sort of okay I'm going to take you to one side and we're going to do something slightly differently with you again was a bit of a, a time where my confidence was starting to wane a little bit I've always been a relatively confident person but am I doing the right thing am I just going to be doing this job for everything am I going to have to go and try lots of different things and someone just saying I recognize something yeah believing we're, it we're going to take you and do something with you even if there isn't a specific career path for it that was huge and again, you can't underestimate the power of that. And then I think, look, obviously, I won't not say making director was a, absolutely was. I think a lot of people aspire to that over their careers and then going on to make, make partner. It was a big thing. It was a lovely thing to happen. People were really, really great around that time. And then the final one was just recently, you know, doing what I'm doing now. There's been so many highlights over the last few weeks and months that it's it's hard to nail them all down. And I think right. there'll be more in the in the future. But just the variety of things that, that I'm involved in now the sort of in, engagement of the team as a whole and again I brought some people with me from PwC and they're saying the same thing and again that makes me incredibly proud that because that's a there's a risk well yeah it's a lot of responsibility on your shoulders when you're doing something like that isn't there so you know you, you've got to make it work <laughs> yeah I brought some people with me and said I think this is going to be great yeah. why don't you come and they could have either gone no thanks yeah. And that would, I misread the situation or they come and they go, this isn't what you said it was going to be. And hopefully, and you would have to ask them, but hopefully I'm a good enough judge of people to think, I think they're enjoying themselves. And what I said it was going to be kind of is in a different way because things have changed even since we, we joined. But that again is a, is validation that I'm not a complete idiot and I do kind of know what I'm doing, <laughs> but also that people have that level of trust that they will follow and leave a big organisation to go somewhere where that they probably never heard of. Yeah. Months before. It should definitely show the leadership style, doesn't it? People are willing to follow. So that's, I think that's a real problem. More, more for them, a lot of people would say, but... And what about your challenges then? What would you class as being challenges? Yeah, well, I think the challenge is always, it's often, I would say, the people aspect of things because mm-hmm. I'm really, really conscious of how everybody has a slightly different viewpoint on everything and what I think is simple someone else thinks is really complicated and what I think is complicated someone else thinks is really simple and so it's really easy to forget that as you're just moving through your day with a million and one things going on to think oh there's a tiny little thing there that's probably really affected somebody else yeah I need to be conscious of that yeah and it's more difficult now PwC was easier because I had a team that I knew and I've worked with for years, we didn't have a lot of change in that team and we could operate in a bit of a silo just as a, a small enough group. But a, it's more challenging because there's so many more people that you do and so many sort of cross-service lines and people in different locations. Because it's not a huge business, we don't have thousands of people in London where we just operate as a London business. We've yeah. got people in Scotland and in Ireland and in Leeds to be internationally. And that's a huge challenge because you just don't know these people that well. You don't know what to think. You don't know how they approach certain things. And so I'm there going, we've got a new business. We're doing this. We're going in this direction. Here's my strategy. Here's what I think. Here's what I think we should do. 
there might be someone sitting elsewhere going, we shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. Or that scares me. So it's just that un- the solution to that is just go and meet as many people as you can and talk to them and understand them. But that takes time and that's that is a challenge, especially given you can't travel around the UK at the moment because there's a train strike every five seconds. So yeah. trying to see people is tough. But um, you are doing that. I know you've been getting, you have been getting around, haven't you, and trying to see people as much as possible. So I think that's, you know, you're not just saying it, you're actually, the proof's in the pudding, as you say, for these things, and you, and you are acting on it, which is... Yeah, and it is massively important. I know, you know, you can do an awful lot remotely, but yeah. it's, and again, it's been talked about a billion times, but there is, from time to time, just a huge value in going, sitting in front of people, talking to them. We're trying to get more people to come down to London and vice versa for us to go to Aberdeen is where the headquarters is yeah just to have a bit of face-to-face because there's so many people and we're growing so we're bringing in new people all the time and every time I think I've understood who's who and what who does what and where they do it from something changes again I have to relearn it all again so that is a personal challenge as much as it is for for the business as a whole it's a good problem to have and one that will keep developing you know you've only been in firm for a few months and before you know it as you say things go in the the blink of an eye don't they it'll be three four five years down the line and sadly sadly they do yes (laughs) I know you're you're very passionate about developing people as you've talked about today and about making sure that you get the best out of people do you listen to podcasts yourself do you read any kind of particular books or any articles that you would recommend people to be really able to grasp their career as well to help take it forward yes I'm really not one for sort of reading like business type books or self-help or coaching or things like that I find that I prefer if I can to just be involved with people and live it to a degree and learn from real life situations like I am and this is just personally for me because I I have friends who read billion and one things and take things from them and are, and are learners in that way I'm a bit of a cynic at heart and I always think that unless I've met a person, unless I really understand them, I can't necessarily validate why what they're saying is is relevant or important. And this, I think, comes from when I, it used to be, we went through a phase of it, people seem to be training things every five seconds. Right. And you'd have people teaching you about stuff. And there was always a voice in the back of my head going, if you were so good at like sales, for example, if you were so good at sales, you'd probably be doing it somewhere and doing a different job so this doesn't resonate with me particularly and I'm not necessarily sure I think there's a there's part of that cynicism still still exists I spend an awful lot of my day talking to people trying to help develop bits of the business and that involves developing people as well that actually when I've finished I quite like to switch off and do something different so if I'm probably music or reading fiction books as opposed to necessarily Business self-help books yeah yeah it'll be connected now you might speak to my family and go you need some self-help books but it's just not really my my approach well I think it's important to relax as well and you know you're relaxing some people relax by reading business books and other people it's exercise that you love your sport or whether it's you know going and watching Netflix or or whatever it may be at this moment so talking about words of wisdom then what would you say to Doug, when he was starting at university, maybe, and decided he was going to go and do philosophy and that massive change and the fear that you had, telling your parents around that, to Doug today that's leading, he's a partner in a firm and, and leading people. Yeah, I think the themes, I mean, hopefully some of the themes have come out already, but I think one thing is that, and looking back, it's very easy to say this, but I would say that I wouldn't change anything because everything has led to something else. So I wouldn't go as far as go, oh, it's fate. But it is just cause and effect. So if something had happened slightly differently, if I'd stayed with aerospace engineering, who knows? I could be an astronaut on the moon by now. Yeah. We just don't know. So I don't put too much away in thinking about how things might have been different and what might have happened. And I think that's quite an important lesson is to say, an approach I take, just don't worry too much about things, especially things that you can't control. So yeah. if you can't control it, it doesn't deserve any worry at all. Well, it's easy to say, and I know people do, and even I do it sometimes, but really try not to. If you can control it, then either do something about it or don't, and then don't worry about it. What I think, again, I'm, I've been guilty of this in the past, is moaning about something, but then not doing anything about it. That's one of my big bugbears. When people say things like, oh, I hate my job. Yeah. Now, I know it's not easy to just go and get another job, it's either really bad, in which case you should, probably shouldn't stay there and you should go and do something else. 
or it's not that bad, in which case we should probably find a way of not moaning about all the time because that just brings you down and it brings other people down. So I think it's, re- it's really, really important that, that you manage what you can and you control what you can and then you try not to worry about the rest. I think another really important thing is, I said it before about confidence. And again, I know people will say, oh, it's not that easy to be confident. And it isn't. It's a really, really tough thing. But it's trying to develop a level of confidence because I genuinely believe that's the key to everything. And I think some of the biggest problem characters in the world are people who actually project confidence but don't really have it because they're constantly looking for validation from other people, constantly wanting to be liked or needed. That shows an inherent lack of confidence. Mm. And you you see it all the time in the workplace as well. People who will stand up, they'll talk as if they're really confident. But they're the ones potentially who are always looking for, I've done a great job at this and I need credit for this. That doesn't show a huge amount of confidence. It's much, much, much better to put your hand up and say, I can't do this. I don't know what I'm doing. Can someone help? That's huge. Yeah. And I, and I would always say, you know, I if you're looking for hiring people or working with different people or expanding the team or whatever, I'd always look for the person who I know will tell me when they can't do something or when they don't have capacity for something because then I can trust them. Then you can throw work at people knowing full well that if it gets too much, they'll say, I can't get to it. Yeah, you get the honest honest answer, don't you? As opposed to people who pretend they can do it and then it all falls apart. Now, granted, there's something on me there to make sure I don't just drown people in work, but there is a balance and it's just a much, much more productive and comfortable place if people are just honest with what they can and can't do. Yeah. And I think that all comes down to confidence. People will say I can do something because they think you want to hear that. And that's not, I don't think that's true. Yeah. Well, I think that's great words of wisdom there. Believe in yourself, make sure you've got the confidence in what you do and then ask for help if needed. So it all comes together quite well at the end, doesn't it, Dad? If you do all of that, you're going to have a successful career. Yeah, it's really easy, right? Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I've really enjoyed speaking to you and hearing more about your journey and lots of takeaways from there today. So thank you. No, thank you. It's been great to chat.